right, Trav. What's going on, man? Well, drinking a coffee. It's five o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm almost to Kansas. Yeah, so we are leaving Colorado. We wrapped up our uh, 2019 elk hunt today, and um, we uh, probably have a little bit different perspective than whenever we we started this about what nine days ago on, yeah, on September eighth. I was uh, giddy as a little schoolgirl on the way out here. Yeah. How do you feel now? I feel happy okay. that, that we're headed home. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm just no, no, I feel I feel uh, informed. I feel informed. Yeah. Um, and it's weird for me because I I mean, like I said, I went in 2016, and um, this is a little bit different feeling. And I'll explain that as we go on. I'm not going to spoil how it goes. So our plan today is kind of take you uh, a little bit day by day of how how things went. And um, some of the excitement, we did have some action and some cool things that happened, and so I'll tell you about that. Um, but also some challenges. Uh, but a little disclaimer off the top um, that we need to just kind of tell you is, first off, a lot of times when you listen to stories like this, you think, well, maybe that's how it is, or maybe that's how it will be for me. Um, and, and the disclaimer we want to put on this is that this is just our experience and we are definitely still very new to this, so there's things that we might say that might not actually be facts. It's just what we kind of figured happened in the given scenario. So just take everything with kind of a grain of salt, and uh, it's more of just like this, this is our story. So it's not really about the tactics of, of what happened, although we will share some of that. It's more so just uh, the and, story of how it went down. And everybody's, everybody's uh, physical ability, everybody's mental um, I guess you would say your values, your mental um, toughness, or your mental relaxation, or however you take it. Everybody takes it different. Yeah. Everybody understands things differently, and this is just yeah our story. So yeah. So, kind of going back to the the very beginning, um, we kind of felt like um, we wanted to go a little bit early in the season, and part of it too was we had planned on we were planning on two weeks, so. Uh, we didn't talk about this whole lot on the way out, I don't think, but just kind of looking at your travel dates whenever you're going. You kind of want to go during the peak rut or close to the peak rut when the bulls are really going after cows. But for us, our dates were kind of determined by uh, a date on the calendar, and that's September 25th. I need to be back for that. Uh, if you guys listen to the podcast, you know my daughter passed away, and so I needed to be home by that date. And so our buddies that were going out, they're, they they tried. They were awesome whenever that, that happened, and I told them I'd have to shift my dates last year. Um, so that was kind of the determining factor for us, honestly, is I really, like my two weeks, I needed to be home close to that because I just know my wife, I wanted to be there for her. So it was, that was kind of the thing. And so um, the other guys that came out, they couldn't come until what, three days after we got yeah. there. And so that kind of played a role in this story a little bit as we go, I think, um, some of the stuff. Because they had been there before. They knew some of the spots. And um, anyhow, we'll go ahead and jump right in. I guess today uh, we rolled in there at what time? It was probably... I don't know. We got there about 8.30 p.m., I think. Yeah. Um, Would you do that differently, maybe? Try and get there earlier? um, Well, yeah. We had to leave at a certain time because we we had to to bump... Yeah, we could have made the trip, I think. We could have been there early afternoon or mid-afternoon, but we had some things we had to shuffle around a little bit. Yeah. So, I didn't want to miss two two Sundays of church with my job, and uh, I guess I'm not going to anyway, but, you know, I just, uh, the way it all worked out, we got there a little bit late. I think getting there a little bit earlier and um, just taking our time would have been better, yeah, probably. Basically, we figured out the trip takes a full day and then a partial day of traveling. Yeah. So, so day one, our plan. 
Um, we had done some scouting online uh, using Onyx, Google Earth, like we talked about, and uh, just kind of looking at trail maps and things, and looking at big maps, I guess, too. And we kind of thought about this area that we thought would be an easy day one. We knew that it takes you some time to get acclimated. And so day one, the plan was to go up on a ridge. Well, well yeah, the plan was to just gradually ease up on this ridge and walk this ridge out and call over the edge. Sounds like a nice, peaceful walk, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so <laughs> so we get up early. And well, actually, no, we just sleep in a little bit. We didn't, we yeah, were trying, we shot our bows at daylight, shot our bows at daylight, made sure that the elevation change didn't. Uh, we were, we were told that it might change like the the, the way our arrows flew, but really, where we were at at 9,000 feet or so, it, it the didn't. Way, the way you shoot anyway, you can't tell, you can't tell the way I shoot anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh, uh huh, yeah, okay. Uh, but anyway, um, so I had kind of this was my fault, I'll take blame. I looked at this little knob, I knew it was going to be a, a rough first little bit i am not great at reading topos like i just haven't done it a whole lot you know back east i mean i know it's important it's it's a vital part of whitetails i just honestly have i'm very much a rookie when it comes to reading maps and topos so in my mind it looked like okay a little steep going up to get to this point where we want to be but once we get up there we can ride this ridge the whole way out and so we get there there's a couple other guys camped at this spot Weedy thought, well, they're not going to go straight up this like we will. And yeah. so we went straight up over. And The first climb wasn't bad. We climbed, I don't know, maybe 400 feet. Yeah. 500 feet. We just took our time and we caught our breath. And you could definitely tell there was a little bit of an altitude. Altitude was going to be a little bit of an issue getting used to it. And um, got up there and we got a little bit of sign on the way up, right? Yeah, we, it was some old signs. So yeah. we were like elk had been in the area, but they weren't there that day probably or yeah. within the last couple of days. And so when we get to the top, I'm expecting a nice gradual ridge out the way we're planning on going. But when we get up there, we find out that everything is straight down and straight back up. There, there really is no ridge. Yeah, I we basically I led us up a knob, and if you go to the left, it just takes you back down to where we came from. And if you go to the right, it was just straight over. Like there was no easy way to get up to the ridge that we actually wanted to be on, except to lose all the elevation that we just gained. And so. We did, we did that. We lost so we all, did that. We so, lost we, all so we dropped like 300, 400 feet into this canyon, came up the other side on a north-facing slope, and... Um, we got into some pretty hot sign, actually. We found some, a couple shredded up trees from rubs, some fresh beds. We actually found one bed that had fresh urine in it. Um, the, the, actually, the dirt was still wet. Um, stuck my finger in it and it just reeked of urine. <laughs> so He's like, but, smell this. And I'm like, oh, like okay. That's just only stuff that you do on a hunting trip, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so we felt good about that, but of course the elk weren't there. Um, yeah. They weren't there. We worked our way clear back up to the top of the second ridge. Yeah, we did. Well, we did a, our first calling sequence yeah. was we ripped a bugle at the top of the knob and then didn't hear anything. So up on that north-facing slope, which we come to, I, didn't, I guess I didn't know, you always hear about that, but elk really like north facing slopes and we found out really quickly why it's because it's a lot cooler there um the, the cover the is vegetation better vegetation is different so where we were at the south slopes are almost sandy and rocky and kind of barren a little bit where the north slopes are usually have trees um a lot of undergrowth and more vegetation on the north it seemed like yeah yeah so we get up to the top of this knob or to, to the second ridge after doing we did like a a cold calling and it if you don't know what that is basically it's just we were basically simulating two cows that came into an area making a lot of noise and a ruckus like they supposedly do like they were talking to each other yeah and just hoping something comes by but nothing did so we got up on the ridge and we had lunch 
and we got out finally to like a spot where we could bugle down into these canyons. The but view, the view was amazing, by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and it was awesome. I mean, yeah. you just see God's creation. I remember you just saying like, yeah, like how do you not know that there's a God yeah, from you, looking yeah. at that? I mean, it's just incredible. It's so, so obvious. Yep. But we got out there, and the wind was a major issue. Like from 11:30 onward. It just, we couldn't hear. I couldn't hear myself bugle. It was just so loud that even if something did hear us, we would, it had to be like within 30 yards for us to hear what yeah, it we, was. We so. couldn't, we could, if a bull was screaming his lungs out down in his canyon, we could not have heard him because the wind was howling so bad. Yeah. So. so we were up on top of this rock where I bugled, and we'll just call that the ridge. And, and just so you know, like, I know people are kind of protective of their spots. We're, we're really not protective of this spot for us. We're more so protective for the guys that invited us to go with them. Yeah. Uh, Greg, Eric, and Rusty, been they've been for 30 years. For 30 years they've been hunting this area and we'll tell you about the value of that in a little bit but they um so we're just respectful of that and not that you would try and steal the spot after the way the rest of the story goes but, <laughs> but i mean we got to know so anyway well won't spoil it all but we came down off of that ridge and and we were just beat i mean yeah. it was so hard to get back to the truck yeah. and we ended up doing what was it 1200 vertical feet and about four miles four miles the first day on an we wanted an easy day yeah, so we won an easy day, and instead we absolutely just annihilated ourselves, and yeah. so we're both like I was super ready, tired. I was ready to go home that night. Yeah, yeah. Travis, like, if you want to go home tomorrow, I'd be cool with that. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not at that level. I'm tired, and I, I, I'd already experienced a little bit of that in 2016, but maybe not to that extent. I'd never probably walked that far, but I knew the feeling of, oh, this is hard. Um, yeah. So we drove some back roads. Um, Scout, yeah, visually scouted out some areas from the road. Yeah, and so that kind of wraps up day one, get into day two. Um, I just knew that we were just feeling like terrible after day one. We I needed to sleep in day two. Yeah, and so Trav needed to sleep in, uh, but I don't sleep well. Um, I have to be extremely comfortable. And we, we uh, got these little cabins that had like little bunks in them. They were super tight, like uh, just Small. really, really tight. And so like the size I, of a walk-in closet with bas- bunks. Basically. We, we could fit our freezer in there that had our uh, um, freezer meals in it. And, then and there, we, there was enough room for us to eat stand in there. Yeah. And that was it. That was about it. But yep. so anyhow, I'm tossing, turning. I can't sleep. So at 4 a.m., I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to road bugle. And if you don't know what that is, it's a little, I don't know if it's controversial or just some guys don't like it, but the way you do it, you just drive back roads, county roads, township roads that are like real rough and you do it at night and you get out and you let out a bugle. Kind of smart thing to do is shut off the truck, the lights, walk a little bit and do it. Um, and if the elk are close, sometimes they're a little bit more bold. If they're not bugling during the day, they'll let out a bugle. Well, I went clear at the end of this pass and I got into some private property and my onyx wasn't working for some reason telling me the private spot so i'd call here and there but just it was kind of windy still so finally we went up on the ridge opposite it was kind of a pass opposite of where the ridge was that we hunted day one and i thought i'm just going to get up there and i let out a bugle halfway up and some coyotes started going off i was like well at least something's answering me and finally i got clear to the top i'm like all right it's like 6 a.m starting to get a little bit light and i was like i'm just gonna last one and I let off a bugle and I hear something. And I'm I'm like, it's funny because it was real windy, so I just dropped down over the ridge like 10 yards. And it's funny, that cut off kind of like the wind from the one side of the, the, the pass where I was at. I let out another bugle and he answered back, plain as day, without a doubt, it is a bull. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm just like, all of a sudden I'm jacked. Like finally, you know, it's only been two days, so yeah. I'm excited that it's only been, but if day one we were just, we were done. It was yeah. it was so rough. 
So I had a choice at that moment. I thought, okay, I can either bail into this ravine and try and go get this bull by myself. Because I'm sleeping. I'm sound asleep. I yeah. Trav's, Trav's like, go ahead and go on without me. <laughs> or I can I can take 15 minutes and go back and try and get Trav. And at that point, I felt like, man, he kind of wants to go home. I need to get him on to a bugle because I know what it just did for me. And so I was like, you know what? And all of our calling sequences usually require two people for them to be super effective. So I was like, I need him. So I tried to text him, but he didn't get my text. I rush in. I kick in the cabin door. I'm like, try wake up. And he's like all groggy. And I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he's like, you can't rush me. I'm like, I'm rushing you. <laughs> and uh, yep. so finally he gets going and we get up there and well, you can tell the rest there, Trav. Yep. I need some more coffee here. So, all right. So we get up there and same spot. Uh, Trav rips the bugle off and that bull fires back. He gives us a little a little lazy bugle, kind of like a something like that. Like, how was that again? Oh, that's good. Like yeah. that. It was yeah. just like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, we're, so, now here's a disclaimer. Whenever you hear an elk out there, they seem like they are closer than what they really are. Yeah. So we thought this elk was just down over the ridge, maybe 150 yards. Turns out he was about three or four hundred yards, kind of on the bottom of the other side of the of the valley. Yeah, we talked about that. Um, just kind of, we're doing lessons learned as we go. Turkey hunting, whenever they gobble, it always seems like they're a lot further than what they are because yeah. the green trees and all that kind of absorb the sound out there. It seems like the sound travels very well. The sound travels super well. As long it, as it's not windy. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. So anyway, so we're like, oh man, we're on top of this bull. We got to set up here. So. We set up and we do a what you call a slow play. We kind of act like a, we're a bull with a hot cow and kind of make some bull sounds and cow sounds and raking, raking, raking trees. And this bull fires off. He, he gives us about three more bugles, but um, his bugles are getting higher up on the opposite ridge um, on the other side of the valley from us. And it sounds like he's working off in the other direction. So my thought is I'm thinking it's probably was a bull with cows and it might have been a roundup bugle and he was moving his cows on up into the bedding area for the day out of the valley where they were feeding all night so we we, we caught on pretty quick that the bull's not coming he's getting further away so we drop in the valley up the other side which that sounds really simple but it was down about 400 feet and then up about 400 feet uh, once we get up on this ridge that we last heard him there's actually a very defined elk trail right up the center of that ridge and we follow it up there, I don't know, probably three or 400 yards up in there. We keep following it. We're like, any minute now, we're going to be finding these things. And the trail just kept going and going. And eventually, it kind of dispersed into a bunch of deadfall. We couldn't follow it anymore. So we set up and did another cold calling sequence. Um, nothing came in. We kind of dropped over the edge of the north side. So we were thinking they'd be bedded in there. They'd come about. Uh, nothing. We did another location. We got go, windy again. Got windy. We couldn't hear. Um, if there was a bull down there, we wouldn't have been able to hear him at all because of the wind. Um, so we backed out and headed back down that uh, valley, 400 feet down, 400 feet up. But on, on the, the way, way back, down, on yeah. the way down, it was a south-facing slope. On the way down, I'm walking along and I find a giant moose shed. This thing probably weighs 15 pounds, maybe 20 pounds. Yeah. And I was, I kind of, that was like the first time I smiled the whole trip. I, think. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. Trav, Trav is a big shed hunter. You know, our name's Shedding Light Outdoors, but I don't shed hunt a whole lot. But Trav and uh, Josh this year, they they yeah. found a lot. So the fact that you found a moose shed out of all things giant. was awesome. But, so yeah, we found that moose shed. I strapped it on my pack, and you, uh, since I wasn't feeling the best from the day before. You actually climbed up the hill to go get the truck, and then I, oh, walked, yeah. I walked out the valley. 
kind of meant you down a little bit lower. Yeah, and that was, you know, the thing is, like, altitude, we, we trained a lot for this trip. I felt like I was really in good shape, but I never felt like I could just run up a hill. You know, these guys like, oh, I bailed into the bottom and I ran up the other side. Like, okay, yeah, I could do that, but if that means me running over a hill, like, slowly so I don't kill myself, and yeah. then taking 15 steps running up the hill, you or, know. Or if it means, like, uh, no pack on and <laughs> with a lot of oxygen, yeah. maybe then, yeah. Yeah, you learn pretty quickly the things that aren't very vital in your pack, and you start, like, I got rid of some stuff. Yeah. Like, I was like, I don't really need a first aid kit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I kept that in there, but I got rid of, like, I had, like, a multi-tool kit kind of thing and a little fire starter. I'm like... Ah, it's not that cold. I'll be all right. But yeah. anyway, uh, yeah, I went up, got the four wheeler, and I learned the very quick. Or I got the truck. Yeah, and learned very important. Pretty quickly learned the importance of side hilling, where instead of trying to just go straight up, sometimes you have to. But if you can kind of take a hill at a side angle and just kind of go up a little bit at a time and then bank back the other way, that is so much easier on your body. And it. But sometimes there's so much deadfall and stuff out there, and everything is just bigger like yeah. the big thing and i knew this but i forgot it like and it just seemed bigger here than what it did yeah. before the country is so huge out there what what we consider a little hill back in eastern ohio these hills are giant like it's just unbelievable like like for example we were at our cabin and i was like how far away do you think that that hill is over there and um we're like ah two or three hundred yards this thing was over 600 yards away yeah. That's just how big the land is out there. Trav's Trav smarter than me. On Onyx, whenever you're zooming in in the bottom left, it actually tells you distance. And I didn't realize that because I'd be like, yeah, hey, dude, I think it's up here just like another couple hundred yards, 200 yards. He's like, dude, look at your legend down there. It says it's a mile. I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even know there was a legend down there. And that, I learned pretty quickly that's important to know because. Like day one. So we were like two miles into this hike and. Uh, you're like, it's just a little bit further, and we got to calculate, and it was like another six miles to cover everything we wanted to that yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. just newbie mistakes that we were making. And I mean, Onyx is deceiving, man. That looks so much smaller when I was looking at it on my phone. But. Yeah, and you can look at Google Earth and kind of flip the Earth, but until you get there and really see it, like what it takes, it is where we were at. There's some areas it might be a little bit easier, but where we were at, I mean, we were in legit mountains that, that are demanding. It can be intimidating if you're not used to them. So into day two, uh, we come off there, you get your moose shed, I get the truck, and we go out to like a spot where our unit too, um, one other thing to think about whenever you're looking at units, if you're ever thinking about going, is the access. Like our unit was filled with four-wheeler trails and truck trails where you get a truck down and a lot of motorcycle trails, just single track yeah. motorcycles. And, and Onyx kind of helped a little bit, some of them, but they didn't always show what those were like. Um, so we, would, we decided that night to keep it easy and we're gonna go out this trail about a mile, but that trail wasn't necessarily an easy yeah. hike. We had to stop and catch our breath a few times, and we only went out a mile. Yeah. But uh, we were just trying to find something simple, and we found two meadows, and we split up. Yeah. I sat on a little meadow. I saw uh, a little buck, a mule deer, and I saw a couple does, uh, yeah. mule deer, and um, it was an enjoyable, relaxing evening. Yeah, I enjoyed that one too. I mean, I, I didn't see anything, but it was just nice just to kind of sit there and not be walking for a change yeah. for our first two days. So, um, day three, um, we, uh, that's kind of whenever the excitement started to pick up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we, we did 30 miles or so on four wheelers. So we decided we were going to just cover a lot of ground, get into all these places where we could get an ATV and, um, found some sign. Yeah. We actually cut, here's the interesting part. So the, the ridge we were on day two following that elk track, we cut a four wheeler trail like five miles back 
and we got on the on the upper side of that ridge and right in the center of that ridge where we thought it would come through was that same exact elk trail with about a half a dozen elk tracks on it yeah and so <laughs> that elk trail following that ridge was like three or four miles where they just followed that ridge yeah and the trail the trail was right down the center of it the whole way so i don't even know there's elk we found day two might have been four miles away yeah and, and that's I, you hear guys say that, but you just don't think about it. How far these elk can travel in a day. It's nothing for them to cover that amount of mile. And, and the thing is, they don't always stay in the same area. They might move a couple miles or five, six miles. It just, you know, so that's something that we learned pretty quickly that it was going to be hard. It's not like pattering whitetails. Uh, white, a whitetail buck will spend a lot of time on one someone's property. Um, even the does will spend sometimes all their time in just someone's backyard. But, I mean, these things cover miles upon miles so we found a couple spots that were of interest um, called a few times it was really beautiful back in there I, I enjoyed it we got on a real nice uh, spring toward the end of it and we set up did some cold calling had a nice meadow we yes. found like a really hot meadow that if we wanted to climb up in but we, we never did that but anyway we came back and our plan was um, you had to run in in town like it was about yeah. a 30 40 minute trip and we were just about to get in the truck and this guy messaged me um, and I'm about to give you a tip that might be valuable to you and it just kind of happened to work for us um, what I did before this began uh, was I think a week or two before I got on um, Facebook and there's a group called elk addicts or there's a ton of elk groups on there and I, I'm a member of those groups and what I did is I just searched for the unit number that we were going to I just type that number in and up popped all of these people who had written about the unit and there wasn't a lot I think there was like four or five that said hey I'm going to this unit and some of them were like from one was from 2017 one was from 2018 I think one of them obviously one of them was from this year that somebody was going I just wrote them all a message and I didn't say hey where did you go give me your GPS coordinates or anything like that all I said was hey I saw where you went to this unit did you have any luck that's all I wrote I didn't write anything else and uh, two of those uh, people wrote back and actually pointed us to where we went day one. And then the third person that I wrote didn't write us until we actually got on this trip. And he started writing us, I think, on day one or day two of the yeah. trip. And he had been out there for like two weeks. His name was Matt. And Matt had been hunting since the opener and just hadn't had a whole lot of luck. He had just he had covered so much ground. Like the guy is a beast, like covering yeah. areas. And yeah, he's a hardcore hunter. Yeah, and so we were part of our discouragement on day one too is that we had heard from him that the elk were up super high. And well, we heard from a couple other guys. Yeah, too. we met some random hunters on four wheelers, and they were claiming that the elk were like over twelve thousand feet. And we're, we're like, like well, "There's no twelve thousand foot spot in there." <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, and we just hiked up to like ten thousand, and about killed us. So we were yeah. like, "Man, how are we gonna do this?" So we were discouraged. So we kind of, kind of were blowing off guys that were giving us advice because we were just so frustrated. Well, on day three, we're about to get in the truck and go to town, and Matt writes and say, "Dude, I just shot a cow." And, I, and I'm like, really? That's awesome. Congratulations. You know, I was happy for him, a little jealous. And he writes and says, well, he goes, do you want to know where it's at? I can give you the coordinates because there was three bulls and seven other cows here. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, you yeah. have my attention, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and so he calls me and I'm like, you want to tell me where that's at? He's like, yeah, I'll tell you where that's at. And I'm like, oh, man. So he <laughs> sends me the coordinates and I'm like, wait a second. I was like, do, do you... Do you need help? He's like, oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> and I don't know that he was actually asking for help. Um, I think he just, he told us later that he just likes helping people. Yeah, he just wanted to share information to help someone be successful, I think. Yeah, and that's just a rare thing because people are usually super private about those spots and things. But Matt was just willing to help out. And so I thought, you know, let's just offer, see if we can help. And we've never packed out a cow, but 
let's go try and do it. So we drove up to this ridge, which just happened to be the backside of the ridge that we were trying so, to go out day one. So the rock that we called from day one is just right above this this valley. Yeah. So if the wind wasn't blowing, we may have heard the bulls down in there that we day. We may have even spooked these over to them. <laughs> we, yeah, the, actually, the, the bed that I found urine in the first day was just on the other side of the ridge from the valley that these elk were in. So we may have bumped them in there. Who knows? But it's hard to tell. But it's so, kind of interesting. So I've been talking to Matt just like on Facebook, but all of a sudden I'm about to meet Matt and I'm about to help him pack out a cow. And so we meet him up this ridge and he's, and we didn't take our bows. We just took our packs with no, you know, backpacks, just our frames. And we get up there. He's like, you got your bow? You got your bow? I'm like, no. He's like, well, there's, they're right over the hill, 60 yards. They're still there. Huh? And so I'm like, neither one of us have a bow. And I was like, dude, we got to help you pack this thing yeah. out. Like, we don't have time to go try and kill something else. It was kind of in the afternoon. So we were on a four-wheeler trail. We bailed over this hill, like, probably 400 yards down over, yeah. which doesn't seem like a lot. But, I mean, it is through the thickest deadfall. And finally, I started to realize where these elk were living. It is the thickest, nastiest like their bedrooms are low low and he's like he killed it at like 10 30 in the afternoon yeah. so it's definitely they go from morning. feeding yeah, yeah 10 30 in the morning yeah. uh they go from feeding to bedding so we get down there and this cow is like i mean it's a it's so huge you walk I up could, on one i couldn't believe it i was like man these things are huge look at that size of the head on that thing yeah but uh yeah that was that was kind of took me a moment to get over how big an elk was because that was the closest i've ever been to one so from there we're like well he didn't it was his first day. He'd been hunting for two weeks. It was his first day that he didn't bring his frame pack. So I started doing the math. There's only two frame packs, four quarters, and a bunch of extra meat. Yeah. I'm like, this is going to get rough, yeah. and we got to get back up to the four-wheeler path. So uh, Trav uh, dove right in, started like just cutting, like because you're good at you're good at the. I've actually skinned and quartered deer on the ground before, so I kind of knew the method to it, um, but a lot bigger. Yeah. A lot bigger. But yeah, yeah, a little different, you yeah. know, but. And this cow had kind of died like up against a tree, so it was really. And this is, mind you, this is Matt's first cow, so he's never done this before either. So, the, so we're nice, three rookies in the backcountry here. The nice thing about the tree, though, is it kept her from sliding all the way to the bottom, because mm-hmm. we may have had to pack her up a lot more steep hill. Yeah. Yeah. So get the first quarter off and a tenderloin or backstrap, and uh, you hand that to me, and I decide I'm going to go up to the top of the hill, and and I'll just let you keep cutting. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go ahead and take the first load, and I realize how heavy. You know, I can't imagine how heavy a bull would be, but yeah. I mean, this cow was, it was probably 70, 80 pounds, probably. For a high quarter and a yeah. And uh, uh, went up over the hill and dropped that off. And I went up, like, I'm going to get the four wheelers up to this spot. And I go down there, and Matt had called his girlfriend, and uh, she came, and um, she had somehow gotten this truck up this road. <laughs> we were the whole way up on the four wheelers. We're like, man, I'm so glad we didn't bring the truck. It was, like, so rocky. She drove this thing up like a boss right up the road. Yeah, she drives it up there. She gets... And I see her. I'm like, hey, are you Matt's girlfriend? She's like, yeah. I was like, oh, man, I'm so glad you're here. Because she had frame packs, and she had everything that we needed. And so we kind of loaded it up, and she gets on my four-wheeler. We go up there, drop over the hill. She's wearing, like, sweatpants and, like, uh, uh, sweatshirt, you know, because she was... They'd been, like, basically living out of a camper kind of deal, and she was just trying to find Matt. So anyhow, we dropped down over, and she dove right in. I was really, I thought I was pretty impressed with, with her. She yeah, was, she, she, um, she they actually, they like eating the heart, and um, they actually took the heart from the elk, and we finished finished quartering it up, and, um, and then we all packed it out of there. Yeah. Had a happy ending, so. Yeah, so anyway, um, that's day three, and that kind of led us to day four, because that was, you know, all of a sudden we're like, hey, well, now we know where some elk are, and we can yeah. get in there, yep. so. 
Day uh, four, we got up early. Yeah. The earliest I got up the whole trip. <laughs> four, eight, four, whatever. Yeah, something. four yeah. something. And uh, we got up there, and I don't know. Um, well, <laughs> we didn't want to disturb them, so we parked halfway up the mountain, and we'll hike the rest of the way. Yeah. But come to find out, we probably could have just drove right Probably could have drove, yeah. I mean, it's distance, once again, is so, you know, relative yeah. out there. But we got set up. Uh, on a spot where we wanted to bugle, and uh, we let out a bugle, and we did, both... We didn't hear anything the first bugle. Right. Yeah. second one we did, though, but we had a little bit... We weren't quite sure which way it came from. You thought it came down to the left. I thought it came down from the right. Yes. And the, but it was actually ended up being straight down in front of us. Yeah. And regardless, the thermals weren't right. Um, they were sinking right to the bottom, right to where they were. Yeah. The thing that... Another thing we learned pretty quickly out there... Um, Draft talk a little bit about wind direction and thermals. So, um, you'll actually the thermal. I have no idea. There's it's so unpredictable because you'll let a, you'll let some, we have smoke in a bottle, and you'll let the smoke out, and you'll see it start floating downhill, and then it'll go kick back uphill, and then sometimes you'll see it uh, float uphill, and then all of a sudden it'll like do a tornado swirl and then kick downhill, and it's just. I have no idea if the elk smelled us or not because I really didn't even know which direction the wind was going. Yeah, um, yeah I would feel yeah. wind in my face, feeling but, like, oh, it's great. And then I'd use the, use the smoke in the bottle or windicator, whatever you want to call it. And all of a sudden, it'd be taking it downhill. But, just... and it, but the, the general rule of thermals is in the cool of the morning and the cool of the evening, they get sucked downhill. And in the warmth of the day, when the sun's hitting it, um, it'll rise. And that was pretty... That was, that, that panned out pretty good for us, but it was still really unpredictable. Those yep. those basic principles of thermals were just all over the place. So. Yeah. So we decided to play it safe, not try and bail over straight over to the bugle. We tried to get around so that we could get clear around, way out past where we heard the bugle, and get down on the same level. That way, if the thermals were going down or up, or up it didn't really matter because we were on the same level. We'd just have to play the wind a little bit. And uh, we got down there. And we decided, let's just start walking toward that direction where we heard the bugle. And uh, I'll let you kind of take it from there. So we're just walking along, and we, we hear this bull rip a bugle off. He just screams, like, look, oh, there, he's, he's right up there. So my my thought, <clears throat> once again, I'm like, he's probably, what, 200 yards up there? Maybe at the most 200 yards. We're, we're yeah. getting pretty close. We're almost right on top of this guy. So we set up, and we're, we're doing some calling sequences where I'm kind of trying to sound like a bull, a bull that's got a hot cow again. And um, he starts he starts screaming um, back at me, and I, I don't know, I couldn't tell if he was screaming at the bull sounds or the cow sounds, but um, eventually we kind of figured out he was he was calling to the cow sounds a little bit. Yeah, and, uh, I was up in front of you like maybe 20, 30 yards, and I, I could just kind of sense that it, every time you made a bull sound, he, I didn't hear him respond to that, but the, I started picking up on... The first bugle I heard from him, it sounded almost like he was defensive. We were making a ton of yeah. noise, by the way. Yeah. We were kicking rocks and breaking sticks, trying to sound like two cows going toward him. Or two elk, yeah. Yeah, you know, because we didn't want him... If you, if you try and tiptoe around, you sound like a predator, or at least that's what we thought we'd, we'd heard. So we tried to make a lot of noise, and so I don't know if that's what he heard the first time. Yeah. But he sounded defensive to me. And then you were doing a great job with the calling sequences, really hamming it up with the raking and, and the yeah. grunts and the glunks and everything else that you could throw in there. But it seemed like whenever you do a cow, that's whenever you'd fire off. Yeah. Well, so anyway, yeah. So, and we did, we went, this went on for a while, and he was just holding his ground hardcore. He was not coming. He was obviously, she started to chuckle, chuckle a little bit with the cows, and 
so he was not going to come. He was holding his ground. So after this went on for what, 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes, yeah. 15 minutes, um, you actually take over the cow sound and start running towards him. So here's the thing. We thought this bull was under 200 yards. He was almost like 350 yards away probably, yeah. maybe 400. So anyway, so Trav starts making the cow sounds and this, and I stay back. I, I stay back and I make a sound like I'm a bull trying to call you back to me with like a roundup bugle yeah. and, uh, and everything. We had heard this strategy from Paul Mandel. It's not something that I would ever have thought of. But Paul says if a bull won't come to you, there's a reason for that. He either has a hot cow or he has, wants, cows. Yeah. has cows or he wants you to come to him. And so I kind of got that feeling in this moment. Plus, I'd already kind of told Trav that I wanted to try this. It just sounded cool. But basically what you do is you make a couple, you go his direction, make a couple cow sounds, and if he bugles, you start, like, almost sounds like a barking dog. Just, meow, 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 meow. And you get going, and I said, if he does that, I'm going to run right at him. And so that's what I did. And he, he let off a bugle to let me know, and I was like, all right, I'm running at this cat. I guess yeah. I'm going to run at this bull. He and was screaming and chuckling you the whole way. Oh, man, he got fired up. and I mean, my heart was racing. So from my perspective, I just hear you calling behind me, and I'm running toward, straight at this bugle, but I don't know where he's at. I don't know. I need it. I know that I'm going to have to stop at some point and not, like, I can't run, like, within 10 yards of him. i got to stop and try and figure out where he's at. But once I, I run out there a ways, I realize there's this giant ravine in front of me. And I thought, holy cow. And he lets off a bugle, and I realize he's on the other side of this ravine. He is way further than what I thought, like you said. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I'm diving into this ravine. <laughs> and so, and I have no and communication to, with to, you. To this point, the, the trees have been very thick and dense. Like, you yeah. can't see farther than 20 yards. Right. So I, I bail in. I'm going down through there, and I hear him. And so I had the sense of mind in this moment while I'm sucking wind trying to get to this bull to use my windicator and I could tell the, the the thermals and the wind were the best it had been. It was perfect. It, everything was in our face over my right hand shoulder and this bull was directly in front of me. I'm like, dude, I, I mean, I really felt confident. I'm like, I'm going to get this bull. But then I drop into this ravine and Wide all of a sudden, open. yeah, it's just all of a sudden the cover just went from 90% to 10%, like just trees sporadic. So I start going from tree to tree trying to get down in here where I can see up over into this ravine and the only thing I could have done differently is maybe looked at my onyx maybe I could have gone around the side and kind of followed the contours of the the you know the, the, but, a little thicker up high but we didn't know that in that moment I just was trying to all I knew Paul Medell said run straight at him so yeah. I was running straight at yeah. him and I ran and he's bugling his head off until I hit the bottom and I hit the bottom and I, ran, I only had a couple more trees and I could look up and I thought I saw a cow and so I was like, I need to sneak forward. And you were bugling behind me, so I thought that gave me a chance to move up. And I made it up to the last tree before I crossed the ravine. Yeah. And I get there, and I look up to my left, and I see a couple elk. I know they're elk. Without a doubt, there's none. Yeah. Not mule deer. <laughs> but I didn't see any antlers. And so I'm trying to figure out where this bull is. And I'm like, well, maybe I can step around. And at this point, I'm, I'm completely willing, because of how tough the first four days, I'm completely willing to shoot a cow. Yeah. You know, going out, I was all kind of maybe cocky or confident that I would hold out and just shoot a bull but at this point I'm, I'm completely willing to shoot a cow or anything because I know how hard it is so I'm about to step out the right side of the tree and take a peek and I just peek my head out and I look and there's like five more cows and I realize oh they're staring around at what 50 yards away yeah no, no about 70 oh, and seven, a couple of I ranged one at like 103 one was at 73 and 
and they're looking my direction, obviously, because I'd made all this ruckus, yeah. and I was breaking stuff on my way to them, making all kinds of noise like a cow does when she comes to a bull, or so we've heard. Yeah, so we've heard. Yeah. So, anyhow, I'm like, I look out and I realize, oh, that's why he's not coming. He's got a whole stick and hurt right yeah. here. He's not coming over for one cow, not going yeah. 300 yards. He's not going to go 350 yards for one cow when he's got seven. Yeah. So, at that moment, you're coming up closer behind me. You don't see these cows, and I feel... Because I ran over there, I feel like I was kind of... I felt like I had to make a move. Like, I had gotten to this point. I Kind of like a whitetail. They bolt, you know, if they're yeah. suspicious. I see all these cows just looking my way. And I thought, well, they're at like 70 yards. I got a 60-yard pin. If I can drop into this ravine and just come up the other side cow calling, maybe they'll stand there for a second and let me give it a shot. And I, I should have, in retrospect probably just taking my time maybe get my binoculars out i might have actually seen how big this bull was but without a doubt he was a herd bull was and a big scary. one i mean yeah. he had a deep deep growl i don't i can't guess how big he was but he knew what he was doing yes he did yeah. and he was probably higher on the hill so at that point I, I knew that typically bulls will stay above their cows to watch them and so i you're probably 125 yards from the bull yeah probably yeah. by the way we're in kansas welcome to kansas we are in kansas yeah colorado to kansas but a lot of windmills yes Yes. But anyway, I decided to bail into the ravine, and I come up the other side cow calling. Could have maybe just poked my head up instead of running up, but there's not really a good tree to hide behind. These cows are looking my direction. I try and, I don't know if I tried to range one or not, or but it was too late. They, all of a sudden, they took off. I tried to stop them. And I'm about 100 yards behind you at this time, and it sounds like a bulldozer crushing the crushing the trees and the, yeah. the blowdowns. It's just the loudest ruckus going through the woods. Yeah. And I tried to, I dropped my bugle tube in the madness, and so I tried to do a, a lip ball with my mouth, which sometimes, you know, you they have, I've heard that it'll keep a bull from leaving, and they think it's a, another bull. I, I tried to challenge the bull, too, while I was down there, and he wasn't going for it. So, it just didn't pan out. Um, they all ran off over the hill. I really think you could have killed one of those elk if, if it had stayed thick, if, the, uh, if there had been a lot of uh, dense undergrowth and dense trees like it had been the entire way in yeah i think you could have closed the distance enough without them being able to look right at you yeah they do say that elk you know that's part of the reason i did it is they say that it takes them a minute to recognize that wait a second you're not a, a cow like we thought you are they'll stand there for they might give you four or five seconds but these elk i mean they they had more than that <laughs> to yeah. look at me in the terrain so it just didn't pan out but i mean it was what whenever i came my main goal initially was to hear a bugle, and I heard that on day two. And I said, yeah, I heard a lot of bugles. And then my secondary goal was to get into a calling situation like that. And so on day four, I got that. You know, I got that moment, and I was just really pumped. I think you were kind of just tired. I was going out, let's eat lunch. <laughs> so I was like, let's go after these bulls. You're like, dude, I'm out of energy. Let's eat lunch. So I'm like, all right. So we stop and uh, have a snack. And we decided the best way is to try and go up and around the knob and try and get to the other side of where they're at. Maybe try and call them in that way. And you were the shooter. We yeah. we kind of had this arrangement that uh, we would trade bugles. So if I messed up on a, one like I just did right there, you would be the next shooter. And um, that didn't pan out. Um, so we took a little nap. And about mid try, tried to take, tried a to take a nap. But the, you, know, you know, they make it look so comfortable in the movies. Yeah, yeah. You see these guys <laughs> on TV that are like out in the Elkwood Slough. It doesn't help whenever you're on the side of a hill on pine needles, and then I'm like up in holly bushes that are like poking me in the back. Pine needles poking me in the back. I'm sliding down the hill, getting a wedgie because my pants are sliding up on me. <laughs> Just, I mean, 
It's not like being at home in your bed or on the couch, you know? Yeah. Yep. So. On the way back to the truck that day. Yep. Or four wheelers. So we're walking another south facing slope, just covering ground. Doop, 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 doop. Be bopping along. I look down and I find a big elk shed, five point elk shed. So I pick that up. So that's two sheds now. Yeah. So you're two for two, and I, well, once again, I never, I never saw a shed out there the entire time, and so you find two on those days. So that yeah. was kind of cool. Um, kind of keep the story going here. Uh, that was probably one of the most exciting days that we had. But day five, uh, I, uh, oh yeah, day five, I got to hunt with uh, the other crew. They had came in the day before and kind of. They came in on day three. Day four, they went to kind of like their own spots, just kind of getting acclimated. Day five, I went with them, and uh, we went way out this road, drove this truck, drove a truck up in this really steep thing, and got into some different kind of, it looked a little bit different. It was more sage, sage grass and fields, and um, my buddy Eric and I were going to hunt together, and Greg and Rusty were going to go on their little trip. And so Eric just takes off, and I have no idea, like, how far we're going or anything. And we're just, we're just, seems like we're walking for days. Uh, when it was all said and done, we did seven miles. <laughs> and I was, I was like, holy cow, Eric can put on some miles. I mean, we'd stop and take breaths and stuff, but um, just hunting with somebody different was, was different. Eric's the, got some of the best stamina around. Yeah, them. Amy, he yeah. just, I mean, I call him bull. He always called yeah. me uh, uh, stallion, stallion because I, yeah. I, I lost a lot of weight for this trip. But anyway, the coolest part of that trip was we were walking out through there, headed toward this mountain. And I was just videoing Eric as he was walking, just because the sunlight was hitting off of his bald head. I thought it was kind of a cool shot, you know, and off his shoulders. All of a sudden, like, he jolts. I'm like, what? And I look up ahead, and these grouse. Flushed out everywhere. Flushed out everywhere. There's, like, probably five, six grouse flying all over the place. And up to this point, like, I haven't been real big. Like, people have always talked about killing grouse, but I'm like, okay, I'm there to kill elk. I'm not... But by day I five, I don't mess with any of that little yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm like, like, why do I want a mountain chicken? You know, I'm just, I'm, and, and these are what they look like. They're just like gray, brown, brownish chickens. Yeah. And uh, but you were ready to fling an arrow. Yeah, Eric's like, you're up, man, you're up. You've never done it, so I pull up, and it took me a while to find one. And I pull up, get my range finder, and it was like 32. Well, it was 30 yards, but then it started to run away. So I held it, held a little high, and I, I shot this uh, grouse. And I, the feathers flew. I thought I had it, but it flew off. And he's like, it's going to drop. It's going to drop. And I went, and we looked. And I only had one arrow. Eric had told me to bring two. And I was like, I'm not bringing two two judo yeah. tips. I need more for elk. Yeah. Well, I get over there, and I'm trying to find my arrow. And grouse are flying everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, they're flying over my head. I'm like, I wish I would have had another arrow. Yeah. So finally find my arrow, and uh, Eric took a shot. Never found my grouse. But we flushed, I think, three coveys of grouse that day going to this uh, mountain. Uh, got on some good sign, uh, followed it a long ways, did some collie sequences, and thought we were going to see something, but just didn't. Uh, came back, and that was kind of my morning trap. So what, what day is this, five? Yeah, this is day five. I okay. think you went so, on a four-wheeler ride. Yeah, so by day five, man, I'm getting I'm getting tired. I, I like a target-rich environment, so uh, <laughs> I get a little bored. I'm kind of like the fisherman that if they don't have a bite in the first 30 minutes, then uh, maybe we'll go just do something else. So yeah. anyway, so... I sleep in on day five, drink my coffee, I get a get a start, and there's a bunch of beautiful four-wheeler trails that you can just see some great country, and I drove 42 miles on the four-wheeler that day, just looking at all the great country, and I actually stopped at a couple north slopes and walked about a half mile up, didn't find any elk sign, and then that afternoon I actually ran into a covey of grouse myself, and uh, 
I missed the first one, and then the second one, I it was on a branch, and I smashed it right through the center of the body, but this thing flew off, man. It flew 100 yards and flew out of sight. So I'm actually down the direction it flew, and I'm looking everywhere because I didn't see where it went. And I actually find the arrow that I shot at it with stuck in the ground. Huh. Like, what are the chances of that shooting an arrow up in the air and then finding it stuck in the ground like 100 yards past where you I shot? Didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, found that one, walked right up on my arrow. Didn't find that grouse. So I wanted to go to a left. See, I was about uh, 9,000 feet, and I, there was a spot I wanted to get to that was like 11,800 feet. And I started up this trail, and I only had a quarter tank of gas, so I ended up uh, turning around and then coming back to camp that day. Um, but you saw something that day. Oh, I saw a bull moose. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, so I'm driving along, and uh, walking through a field is a big bull moose. And so I whipped out my video camera and video a little bit of that. But that was kind of neat. They're, the, fra- the crazy thing is they look like they're in slow motion, but they cover ground so quick. Uh, their legs are so long, and they just they walk with such grace. So that was kind of cool to see that. Yeah. Um, so that day, what I did in the evening was kind of dumb. Um, so where we chased the bull up that we heard on day two up that ridge, we came within a mile of a, a, a road or a, like an old four-wheeler path that came off this ridge. And I thought from that point on, I kind of stuck in my head, I would to just take a four-wheeler up there, have somebody drop me off, and I had to just walk that ridge the whole way down and called that north-facing slope over there. And, and the, you know, that bull had to have gone somewhere over there. So that's what I did that night. Uh, we dropped Eric off. He was trying to kill a mule deer that we called Larry. Um, Poor Larry. Yeah. He picked a bad spot to live. Yeah, Larry yeah. lived. There's a bunch of switchbacks going up on top of this mountain. And Larry, we'd see him every day. His little four-corned muley that Eric wanted to, we told Eric about. He's like, well, I'll shoot that. He just wanted to kill any mule deer he could. And it so happened that day that muzzleloader season for mule deer came in. Yeah. And Larry didn't make it. Larry did not make it. He got he's, blasted from the road. He's in Yeah. But anyway, um, I, I just, I'd already done seven miles. I bailed off this ridge. Uh, Greg took me up, dropped me on the four-wheeler. I felt bad because I, I forgot how far it was back in there. It probably took him like a half hour to 40 minutes to drop me off. I bail over, and I realized pretty quickly I'm in this deserty, sandy, rock. I mean, it's more like I'm hunting mountain goats is what it feels like. And I'm like, this just is silly. Why am I here? Like, I can't – if I go into the north-facing slope, I had to, I only had three hours to hunt, so I was kind of limited. If I, if I go over there to the north-facing slope on the one side – and I shoot something or I get down in there, like they're never going to find me and it's going to take me forever to pack it out. So all these questions start, you know, rolling in my mind. So I decided to go to the other side because we found that creek crossing whenever we went up after that bull on day two. Yeah. So I dropped down over and I realized I cannot walk this creek. It is so thick. It's like a jungle down here. With the willows in there. Yeah, willows and all kinds of stuff. So I've lost all my elevation. And one thing that you need to know if you've never been out west, keeping your elevation is a very smart thing to do. If you can stay on a topo line and just follow it, even if it weaves in and out, it's so much easier on your legs rather than going straight up. But at this point, I'd lost all my elevation, so I have to climb up the side of this mountain, and I probably gained four, five, six hundred, maybe even more uh, feet. And so, and it was just a hike. It wasn't a hunt. I knew I wasn't going to see anything. I was tired, so I ended up doing 12 miles on day five. Yeah. And 20, 28,000 steps. Yeah. So you got your 10,000 steps in that day. Yeah. It was just, and it was just pointless. I mean, the, the morning was great, but the afternoon I just, I just made a hike that just didn't make sense. I wasn't going to see elk in that spot and, um, to realize that pretty quickly. And so that came to play into the next day, uh, day six. Uh, my plan was to go back up to where we had the encounter with those bulls and I was going to go low. We kind of felt like every time we had ran into them, 
they had gotten lower from the time where Matt killed his. They dropped down about two, three, four hundred feet. So we thought maybe they're even closer because there's private property. And so I went out on this hike out through there, oh, about three or four miles. By the time I got out to the point where I was going to drop low, I was so tired that I thought if I drop low, I'm going to have to climb about a thousand feet to get back up to the four wheeler. And I just wasn't willing to do it. And so came back through. There was some sign, but nothing fresh. So that was the end of my morning that day. What day are we on? Uh, six. Day six. So day six, I once again sleep in to about seven. <laughs> I get up and drink my coffee. I watch some uh, Ultimate Fighting on my phone and uh, do relaxing. I look at Lancaster Archery, Three Rivers Archery, look at all the cool bows that I'd like to have. And uh, about nine o'clock, I head out on the four-wheeler. And I now, now I have a full tank of gas, so I'm going to head up to that 11,800-foot mark that's on the top. And I'm going to call down over to the back side of that giant mountain so i get up there by the way this is like from the time i leave the cabin until i get up there like an hour and 15 minute four-wheeler ride it is just brutal because there's it's a lot of rocks and stuff on the trail so you're going real slow keeping it in low gear anyway i get up to the top of this thing uh, about 10 30 and i'm like this is it man this is where i want to call from look at that north facer down there this is going to be great so i let out i just rip uh, a location bugle with a couple chuckles at the end and uh, I get a bugle back. It's uh, kind of a lazy bugle. And then I'm like, all right, there's a bull down there. And then I hear another bull that sounds a little bit closer and he rips off three bugles in like 20 seconds. And I'm like, oh man, so there must be a hot cow down here. I gotta get down there. But the trick is I can't drop straight to them because there's like a 400 foot straight down cliff. So I get back on the four wheeler and I, and I go down to get on the elevation they're on so I can side hill it around to them. Um, and that was a tough side hill for a while, but there, there was a pond back in there. I could, I could tell very clearly where this bugle came from. I get back to where the pond is. I'm like, this is where you should be in here. Uh, there's fresh sign, fresh rubs, fresh tracks, perfect living environment for elk. And I set up and do a cold calling, or I do a breeding sequence like I'm a bull with a hot cow. And I just expect this bull to erupt and come charging in. But my goodness, I could there was I couldn't find them. I looked around, the, the, nothing responded to my calling. Yeah. No more bugles. I literally ripped off another location bugle. Nothing. You guys might be figuring this out, but we we were really hoping going kind of early would be in the pre-rut, and the bulls would be really starting to get fired up, and there'd be satellites running around, and it just we heard some bugles, but but, but here's I don't know if this is what happened or not, but I can tell you my wind was kicking around left, right, up, down, backwards, forwards. And so I don't know if the wind kicked down there and got into them or not. But anyway, I got to where it was. They were there recently, but not at the time I was there. So, But you got to kill that day. Oh, yeah. So, okay, I'm on the way back down, and I run into these grouse again. Same same flock. They're about, I don't know, 75 yards from where they were the day before. And uh, this time, I was ready. Uh, they fly up. I get my bow, and uh, I smoked the first one. I just drilled it. It falls to the ground and then that was about a 10 yard shot about 10 feet in the air and then the second one I see one running off it's between 15 and 20 yards I smoke it pin it right to the ground um, and then uh, I got a couple more Hail Marys like you know they're like 25 feet in the air it's over 30 yards away and I ended up losing a couple arrows but I actually didn't lose them I know where they're at they're stuck in trees 30 feet off the ground but you're forgetting the best part about this story the bloody nose yeah okay so so I'm coming, I'm coming down the four-wheeler path, 
and it's so rocky and bumpy and it's dry out there my nose starts to bleed so i'm wiping the blood off my nose with my hand and then i run into these these quail or whatever, grouse. <laughs> grouse, whatever they are. Travis never called them by their right name. <laughs> he called them ducks earlier today. Yeah, whatever they are. <laughs> He's poultry. He's poultry. So I, my, my nose is dripping blood. Every shot, I, I rest the, the string on my nose when I shoot. So every shot, my my arrow and string fling blood on my riser. So every shot spraying blood all over my hand. And my, But anyway, I'm not about to let these things get away. So I'm going at it with a bloody nose. So... I get okay, so the, the excitement's over. I've got my two dead, my two dead uh, grouse, grouse yep. and I rip my toilet paper, stuff it up my bloody nose, and I, I pose these things up really nice on a log. And I set my timer on my camera, and I take the first picture, and I realize I got toilet paper stuck <laughs> up my nose. So I delete that picture. It's not a real good Instagram photo. Uh, so I delete it? that picture. By that time, my bloody nose is stopped, and I, I get a good picture. So that was kind of exciting. Well, there you go. So we, we did uh, kill something. Up. You flayed, flayed the them. Yeah. They're uh, in the freezer behind us uh, that we're pulling, and it's got marinade. So Italian be, dressing. Should be there. good. Should yeah. be good sometime. Um, so you shot two grouse. Um, get into day seven. I got up with Eric, and uh, he wanted to go back to where he shot his first bull. Uh, back in 1994, I think it was, and uh, we realized pretty quickly that the, these guys that we, we were going with, they haven't been there in like 15 years, so some things have changed, and they realized that pretty quickly too, that the some four-wheeler paths aren't open that used to be, there's some spots that used to be really great, and they're not, and these guys so far at this point, they've actually done pretty well, and um, they, they saw a 5x5 five five bull bedded. Uh, the first morning, just out in an open field, and they called to him, and he didn't like that, got up and ran away. Uh, they'd heard bugles, so I thought, man, you know, we came with these guys. Why am I not hunting with them more? I really kind of got a little bit of tunnel vision towards that ridge where we had had the encounter with the bull, but went with Eric, went out uh, this walking path, and called a little bit, you know, just at the break of dawn, and we're walking, and there's this big meadow that kind of starts at the bottom of the mountain, goes all the way up to the top. And we can't really see the top, but from the top, we hear two uh, barks. Uh, elk, sometimes when they're alerted or nervous or whatever, they give off kind of just like a oh, you know, quick bark kind of thing. And I heard a cow, and then I heard the bull. And we checked our thermals, our wind. There's no way they saw us, so I don't know that they were barking at us. But I look at Eric, I'm like, you want to go up after him? And he's like, that's fine. So, uh, you know, we started up and we barreled up this mountain. Uh, and by barreled up, I mean we stopped every five minutes and took a breather, and it took us 45 minutes to get to the yeah. top. And we got up there, we did a calling sequence, couldn't find them. Uh, ended up finding their trail, though, and it was, for the first time, I was on super fresh sign. I knew that they had been there, and I was stepping in. Instead of, like, finding dry, crusty uh, elk droppings, I was finding actual, you green, know, green and shiny. Green, yeah. We're like, hey, this is good. So they went out the saddle, and it went about a mile. And like I said, these elk, when they leave an area, it's they go miles. And we figured they went up to this spot where there was basically a mountain in front of us, and it split to the left and split to the right, a northeast and a northwest-facing slope. And so we knew we were going to find them in their bedding. We tried some calling. Nothing was getting them to move. So we decided to sneak in. And so I started walking, just trying to take tiptoe it around. But everything's so kind of dry out there. It's hard to be quiet. And I knew we were getting pretty, pretty close. And all of a sudden, I take a step and I look up, and there, 40 yards in front of me, is an elk butt. And this elk stands up, and before I can even do anything, this elk's gone. Like, and it made the crazy part is it made hardly any sound. Like, I heard a little crashing and gone, like completely quiet. 
and we heard some other crashing so we figured the gig was up we tried to call them back in with some other elk sounds but that was it so eric and i bailed off and that was the end of our day seven, uh, day seven morning okay. hunt so day seven so by this time i'm not really had a shot at an elk or been that close to an elk so i'm starting to lose interest in this whole thing and uh, a little bit worn out uh so i take day seven is going to be a, a big time rest day for me so i go into a little town get to an archery shop uh shoot a 3d course uh, get some coffee actually buy fishing pole fish my fishing pole and my fishing license and i'm ready to head out to this reservoir uh that that we know of and we're going to camp out, we're going to catch some fish, and it's going to be a great time. Yeah, it's actually a spot that we had planned on camping at the first couple days, which I'm kind of glad we didn't do that, or we probably would have only stayed two days. But Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so we get out there, and we get the tent set up, you start a fire. Yeah, I get my fishing pole all, all, all hooked up, and I cast it out there, and I realized there is algae and moss way out from the shore. I can't even reel my, my line in without getting snagged on the moss. It's just really frustrating, not going quite how I imagined it. And uh, about this time we look up and I'm like, I'm not the smartest man in the world, but those look like storm clouds rolling in. <laughs> we hadn't checked the weather. And yeah. we're driving out there and we didn't even look to see what the weather was gonna do. And so anyway, we uh, tear down and we <laughs> head back to the cabin. So that that was uh, our camping adventure. Yeah, and I, I looking at the mountains um, where I was gonna go up, it was, it was all uphill and it was gonna be brutal. Um, so I was ready to go back and, and at this point, um, we had planned to originally stay uh, up until Thursday, and that would have been, if we would have left on Thursday, Friday, we'd get back home around Saturday, Sunday, and that would have been a full two weeks. And But by this point, I knew that you were tired, and I was tired, and the elk just weren't running the way that we thought that they were going to, and um, you know, I just felt like, you know what, I'm going to give it one more go, and that was, so today was day eight, and um got up and decided to go back to that same ridge where we had the encounter with the bull and the cows and all that and I just you kind of get tunnel vision we talked to a, a wildlife biologist several times she said don't get tunnel vision don't get yeah. tunnel vision don't yeah. get stuck and I got tunnel vision and these bulls I was just I had an encounter there and I wanted to see it again I actually went down into the ravine I, slow, I got up early and got up there and tried to listen for bugles and I didn't hear a single bugle didn't get a response back I went into that ravine where I saw the cows and all that and there was sign, but just nothing. And I, I ended up just doing, uh, I think maybe three, four miles today. And um, that was it. I, I bugled my way back, tried to, even on the south facing slopes, was just trying to hope maybe something that would happen. And, you know, just a little, little disappointed, but I was just happy that I was gonna get on the road, we'd yeah. get packed up, and here we are driving. And yeah. so that was kind of the wrap up for me. We are, we are headed home. Yeah. So thought we'd talk a little bit about some uh, some takeaways. I'll start with you, Trav. Yeah, sure. Um, I think if people have been listening to this and kind of following along, uh, kind of noticed that maybe this isn't your cup of tea. No. So here's the deal. I've learned throughout this whole thing. I'm probably more of an archer. I like a target-rich environment. Um, the dura my duration and uh, willingness to stick with it through a long, long, hard, tough hunt just isn't there I'm kind of like the fisherman that you know you're not getting bites so you want to go do something else and yeah. anyway so I've learned that I I like the archery part I like a target rich environment and that the elk hunting doesn't give me enough shot, shot opportunities <laughs> at least not where we were not where we were yeah 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 and I think at one point you talked about um, effort versus reward oh kind of yeah thing. that's right yeah so 
I'm, my mind is real. I'm a realist, and uh, basically, my mind is very realistic. So, to me, that the effort that it would take to go and actually kill one of these elk, pack it out of the back country, wasn't worth it. I didn't need to meet that bad. I can go to Kroger's and buy hamburger, you know. And so, I think Trav said he's he's like, we got to get up at four if you want to kill an elk, and I'm like. Man, I don't want to punish myself even more by getting up early and then packing out an 800-pound animal. Like, that just does not sound appealing to me whatsoever. So, I took some easy days. I, I did enjoy God's creation. I thoroughly enjoyed God's creation. Um, I got to hear some elk bugle. But when the, at the end of the day, I am more of a eastern whitetail hunter. I, I am more of a 3D archer, archer. And I thrive in those situations. But out west may not be my cup of tea. Yeah, so. and and it, it took you going on the trip to kind of realize. Yeah, I did, that. I did not yeah. know that going in, but yeah. I but I but I don't regret it. Right. I'm not bitter towards it. It was just very educational and uh, made me kind of come to grips with who I really am in the archery world. Yeah, and, and that was um, you know being honest. That, that was a challenge for me because I wanted you to enjoy the trip, but pretty quickly I realized that this was not your cup of tea. Well, and I, I enjoyed it in other ways. I relaxed. Yeah, I mean I was watching. Did. UFC on my phone, <laughs> baseball highlights, sipping my coffee, yeah. and I got out there in the middle of the day and explored God's creation, and I, I got some grouse and yeah. found some sheds. And by no means is it a is it a fail. It's just an educational yeah. journey. Absolutely. So. Uh, for me, my takeaway is I'm I guess I'm not a realist. I'm probably more of like I'm I'm one of those guys that whenever I go out golfing, which doesn't happen very often, I think I'm going to shoot par. Like I and I've never like got more than two pars on at a given course, you know. I'm just stupidly optimistic. I, I drove. The, I drove the green once and still didn't get par. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, uh, you know, I just. I, I don't know if you call that a dreamer or just stupidity, but I, I really thought going in based off of what we knew and what we thought about the unit that I could make it happen, that we could make it happen. And, and I'll be honest, um, my goals shifted. Uh, my goal, first goal, was just to hear a bugle. And then, uh, according to Eric and those guys, that was kind of too easy of a goal. So then I thought my next goal would be to really get in there and get into a calling scenario with them. And then my third goal that kind of became the overarching arching goal would have been to kill one. I really thought that I could. And so I just kept progressing in my goals. And so the first two we met within the first four days, and I was really proud and I was really excited. We actually found a good spot for elk. I was very proud of yeah. that. Um, but I just kept grinding. For me, it wasn't... Uh, I, I enjoyed the challenge. I like I like that. I like that. Just getting up early. Sometimes we did that, but for me, um, I think it just trying to kill one just became all-consuming in some ways. And you just try everything in the book, and it just didn't pan out. You know, it didn't pan out. I don't have regrets. Um, there's things that maybe I do a little bit differently, but I don't regret anything about this trip. Um, I, I will say that sometimes we can make things be a little too uh, too much. Um, the Bible is going to talk about, you know, not having any other gods before God. Uh, don't place any other gods before me is, is one of the first commandments on the Ten Commandment list. And, and we might think, well, there's no wooden idols. We don't worship that kind of stuff. But I think it's anything that you elevate to a point that it becomes all-consuming. And people say, well, it's my passion or it's my obsession. Um, really what it is is it's your God. And I'll just say it flat out admit it, parts of this trip and leading up to it, elk hunting probably became that for me. It became what I thought about. I'd call you for like every day and I'd probably annoy you while you're at work talking about elk hunting. I looked at maps and 
we would argue about elk hunting and, and get <laughs> like, into the, like, like we knew it all like we knew it all and, <laughs> and and i was completely humbled and i realized after a few days out there like this is fun i'm enjoying it but even if i kill one it's still not going to fill the longing um and I think the only thing that fills that thing in your heart, you know, we can do people. It's not just elk hunting. People use their jobs to do that. People use partying. People use alcohol. People use, you name it. Like people use hunting of any kind or to or find that, fulfillment. To find fulfillment. And I think the only way you find fulfillment in this world is by living for God and making Him be number one and all of those things that you do. It doesn't mean that you got to be a monk and that you can't go hunting. It's just keeping things in perspective. And I struggled with that. But I mean, I've learned too that. Everything in this life will leave you empty at some point, other than your relationship with God. Yeah, yeah. So it, it took that. Um, I will say though, I did take some moments, and I I was I was happy. There was a few moments where I just sit back, and even whenever I was sweating after coming up a mountain, looking back and just seeing the mountains and everything that He created, it, it just you know just stunning. The mountains were absolutely incredible, and just to think that He just crafted that with His hands. And then flattened out Kansas yeah. that we're going across right now, just completely flat Kansas. He's a but great artist. But I think the diversity that our God has and that our God created um, is just absolutely outstanding. If everything was a mountain, we would not appreciate the flatness. If everything was flat, we wouldn't appreciate the mountains. And I think that uh, our God is a God of diversity and creativity, and it's just cool. It's cool. Yeah. The second takeaway um, that I have, Trav, is, and I, and I know this, but you don't necessarily appreciate what you have until you're away from it for a while. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit about whitetails, how we, we appreciate, we're kind of excited for whitetail. One, I'll be in shape yeah. uh, to climb like the little hills down by me that seemed like right. they would kill me last year, but um, and not that that's easy, but it's, it's definitely, it seems like it's easier than going into the mountains and climbing, yeah. you know, crazy hills there. But anyway, family. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, driving away from my wife and my two kids and and all of that, you know, thinking, oh man, I'm gonna get away for a couple, you know, for a couple weeks and just enjoy the mountains and this adventure. Pretty quickly, I started missing them. You know, um, and you can say I'm soft or whatever you want to say, but to be honest, I don't care. I I love my wife and I love my my three kids. Uh, one's in heaven, and I. Um, I can't wait to get back to them. And, and I know that. Like, I know that I'm an incredibly blessed guy to have the family and the life that I have. Um, nothing wrong with going on an elk hunt, but it's not everything. What Everything to me is the end of this road that we're traveling right now back home. Yeah, long road. Yeah, long road still. So, I think I didn't just encourage guys, try and keep that in perspective. You know, try and, sometimes you might think the grass is greener or it might be better if I could only be... You know, but family is everything. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times people say that hunting is their journey or their adventure, and that's true. But there's a lot of adventures and journeys we can go on with our families. Yeah, honestly. And I, were you done with that? I have another. Yeah, that's good. Go ahead. So, you know, when you're a kid and you're looking at the presents under the Christmas tree and you're trying to imagine, like, oh man, wonder what I got there. Oh, wonder what's in that one. And like sometimes you imagine it and then you open it and you're like, oh man, that's lame. That's not that great. Or sometimes you open it and you're like oh wow that's way better i never imagined i'd get that that's so awesome for me this elk trip i imagined that it would be big fat elk running all around us because we knew exactly how to call and it was a 20 percent success rate last year so i knew we'd be into the elk big time and i just select my pick of the litter and take a cow and pack it out on day one or two and it was nothing like that um it was a lot harder than that and i realized that early on so i just want to encourage you that 
whatever your journey is, some, you don't have to imagine it or force it to be something. All you got to be is present. If you can just be present in your journey, God will shape it and form it and, and take it where it needs to be. So that's something I've learned. Yeah, that's good. Well, all of that in consideration, if any of you are thinking about going on an elk trip, I would not tell you not to. I just tell you to just think about it. Um, not Don't get as confident, maybe. I think we were a little overconfident kind of going in just because we listened to a lot of podcasts and we were in shape and, you know, just all these things. Um, but I would, I, would, I would not tell you not to do it. Um, I would just say... Uh, go. It might be helpful to go with somebody who has experience. So we, I, I mean, every day that I hunted with Eric and those guys, we were pretty close to being in, in elk, so we probably should have hunted with them more. Um, I would say, you know, evaluate that a little bit. Yeah. If you're not sure... You might want to bring your fishing pole. <laughs> yeah, bring your fishing pole. And, uh, you uh, could be the camp cook. Could be the camp cook, too. I, You know, if, if I go again, I might have you be my camp cook, Travis. We did have Wi-Fi at the camp. So. Yeah, that was nice. That was nice. So, But, no... Um, it was a great, great trip. Um, excited to be back home. I want to thank you guys. If you followed the Instagram story, if you've listened to any of this podcast for over an hour, really appreciate that. And uh, the next couple of weeks, we will be getting ready for whitetail season. Whitetail season. We're so gonna, I'm going to sharpen my broadheads as soon as we get home. I'm probably just going to hug my wife, and I'll think about it in a week or so. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm, I'm going to hug my wife too. Yeah, might even pick her up, spin her around. There you go. There yeah. you go. Well, guys, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, hope that your uh, hunting season is going well if it's already started. We'll have some more stories coming up. Uh, remember to shed the light.